Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hola, hola, hola. Bienvenido de nuevo a Equipping You podcast. Este es el episodio ocho de la temporada nueve. Wow. Can we get our guests then to evaluate your Spanish there today, Terry? <laughs> I think we better not do that. Yeah, that might be good. But I think that's the best Spanish I've ever spoken on Equipping You podcast. Well, that the bar is pretty low, so I think that's, that's probably accurate. <laughs> So, hey, we're coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio. So you're now hearing me in English. I may still be speaking in Spanish, and you have the gift of interpretation. You never know. But uh, Columbus, Ohio, home of Guy Fieri, the drive-in diners and dives guy. Yeah. Uh, so who eats a whole lot of everything. Yes, good stuff. Uh, Columbus. He's several a, of those episodes. He's They're a, good. He's a Columbus guy. Wow, how about so, that? Who knew? Who knew? I, I've uh, I've watched knew. him. I've watched them too. The only frustrating part to me about watching food programs is you don't get samples sitting on oh, your. I know what is that living room couch? You have to drive to the places, man. So today we're going to talk about Hispanic church planning, Alan, specifically. You know, some of the stuff that we've been doing in church ministries and the Alliance related to a major grant that we received that caused me to do the happy hallelujah dance in my office. I've only ever seen the happy hallelujah dance twice before. I'm sorry I missed the third occasion. Yes, uh, you did miss it. Wow. And you missed a lot. But that uh, not really grant <laughs> is about all about thriving Hispanic churches. And uh, so we're going to be talking to our good friends who are here uh, today, Yvonne Marti, Jorge Cuevas, and uh, pick their brains a little bit about what's happening in that, where it may lead to, and uh, excited about uh, the opportunity to chat with you guys. So grab yourself a guava juice, just like you were sitting on the beach in Dorado, Puerto Rico. Sit back, relax. Here we go. So, again, it's a pleasure to welcome you guys, Jorge and Yvonne, to Equipping You Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Appreciate it. Yes. So, uh, you guys have known each other for a couple of years. So, uh, <laughs> tell us how you initially met and uh, how long you've been friends. In my first church plant, we're talking about 1988. At that moment, we were doing community surveys, and and he came with a youth group from his dad's church, came to help us in the first step from planting and so on. And that was the first time that I met him. After that, I pastored a church where uh, his current, his now wife was attending and 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 we saw not current the, the one that <laughs> was attending and and so we also saw that but the real time when we started connecting more was when 
he was uh, the DS, the district superintendent of the Spanish Eastern. And I moved to the U.S. to be in charge of a church in Orlando, Florida. And at that time, we connect and we partner in projects and so on. So that's basically, I would say, more than 30 years. No? I was going to say, I'm trying to count decades there. So I'm trying yes. to figure out, here we go. That's awesome. I love to see it. Known him since he was a teenager, huh? Yes. Wow. That's a long time. Uh, so you guys both tell us, uh, who are the leaders that have influenced your life and ministry along the way? I figured uh, one of them was a lady called Mary Rodriguez. She was the youth leader of my uh, church. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was the one that came into my life and said, if you're going to lead, you lead from here, you know, and you lead here mm -hmm. in the church. Uh, then uh, the senior pastor of that particular church happened to be my dad. But it, as a senior pastor, he was the one who created this space and you know, to me for me to learn say so if you're going to learn it learn it right mm -hmm. and uh, he just he was the one who just continued to chisel mm -hmm. uh the issue of not just serving but learned what you're doing what you believe etc mm -hmm. uh another one was uh, uh ken briscoe senior mm -hmm. uh ken briscoe senior was a guy who as as we continue to connect with the u.s and activities and programs he says you know something there are some people here in the states that you need to meet and uh, he was going to guide me into a transition into the U.S. to continue to see ministry in a different light, mm -hmm. not only in the Puerto Rico light, but in the yeah. in the Hispanic light. And uh, finally, uh, I think that one of the other ones has been uh, Jorge Ivan Rivera, the senior pastor uh, of uh, one of the churches in in our district, who took me in as his assistant pastor mm -hmm. and uh, took the time to then show me pastoral leadership and uh, how to be a pastor in the church. Uh, so I have different uh, different aspects of uh, what a pastor is, but uh, having him nearby gave me a different perspective. In my case, I will have to start with my church pastor, Reverendo Antonio Lopez. He was a by vocational pastor, college professor wow. that took a church from 18 people and grew up that church in 50 years to so be more than 600 sure. people and and. More than 40 pastors came out from his ministry and so on. And he started giving me preaching opportunities when I was 13 years old. Wow. And then uh, <laughs> preaching Sunday night. Yeah. And so, 13. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was incredible, I will say. And then there was people from the youth group uh, that really helped me, uh, Victor Monroy Sr. and and others like uh, Ariel Otero, were people that were key to my development as a youth leader. And then I also will say that one that has a significant influence in my life is my friend Rosilio mm -hmm. Roman. And the reason about Rosilio is that he really taught me how to be a friend. I really... This is something that you don't learn, you know, when you are growing up or only by modeling someone what exactly is a friend I learned from him and helped a lot in, me, in my development. Yeah. So nobody famous in that <laughs> either group, just people yeah. called of God, yeah. doing their thing, mentoring yeah. exactly. and uh, reproducing themselves. In others, so that ought to be a challenge, really, uh, to all of us to invest in other people. You just never know what's going to come out of that. You just never know. 
So, guys, we're talking about church planning today. Why is it that church planning is important? Why is church planning among Hispanics in the U.S. important? I would say about the first question, uh, uh, people matter to God, and they are lost, and they need to be found. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. Our job in the U.S. is unfinished. We still have people that do not know the Lord, and and there are uh, surveys that say that more than 66 million people in the U.S. don't have any belief or are not agnostic, or basically they say, oh, nothing is spiritual on it. So these people need to hear the Lord, and, and we really believe that the most effective evangelistic way to reach them is through church planting. I have something here that Rick Warren one time say, starting new congregation is the fastest way to fulfill the Great Commission. And that is a quote from uh, Peter Wagner a long time ago, where that is continually being used that say the single most effective evangelistic methodology on the heaven is planting new churches. So in reality, you require a lot of churches, different churches to yeah. reach different people. Absolutely. And you require a lot of different church planters mm -hmm. to be able to plant these different churches. Yeah. So that's why church planting is important. Yeah. I think that uh, if, if I could bring what he said into uh, in layman's terms for me, it would be, we have to understand the diaspora, we have to understand demographic, we have to understand immigration, and then we have to uh, understand our responsibility. Uh, let me explain. For example, we have 21 Spanish-speaking countries around the world. Yeah. The U.S. is the second largest speaking Spanish-speaking country in the world, wow. second to Mexico. Yeah. So the two biggest countries that speak Spanish is on the uh, in our hemisphere, in Americas. Out of the 31 million people in the United States, 18.9% or 62 million people speak Spanish. We only have mm -hmm. 200 churches that speak wow. Spanish in the U.S. Wow. So definitely we have to understand that the, the scenario that we are faced, yeah. that when we change our, our paradigms and we start changing the way we do copy-paste translation and mm -hmm. we do all these things and we change that, mm -hmm. we realize that we have responsibility mm -hmm. to what God has put in our, mm -hmm. in our laps. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I can support that wholeheartedly. Amen. So a couple of years ago, uh, Alliance Church Ministries received a $1 million grant from the Lilly Foundation. Yeah. Uh, so tell us what's been the focus of the project that that grant was used for and and what are we learning from it? Yes, during the spring of 2020, Lilly Foundation uh, was looking for grant proposals for the Thriving Congregation Initiative. So when they use thriving, the term describe a congregation that loves its communities, neighbors, and congregants through acts of fellowship and service and have clarity values about reaching the lost. So we said, this is something that we can do, and we have something to help there. So there was, a, at that moment, there was Hispanic Church Planting Initiative in California, where they needed a, a leadership development tools, 
And they were doing great planting churches, but how to develop these pastors that are planting these churches. So we decide this is something that we can start with them and go across the nation for these purposes. So church ministry for a team that wrote a grant proposal and the grant was approved by the end of October 2020. So the idea was to meet the need of 196 CMA Hispanic churches that we have in the U.S. And the goal from the program was to increase the number of thriving congregation, Hispanic congregation in the U.S. So they were growing fast, but they were not necessarily thriving. So we said, okay, how we can help them? And we request money to do that. We said that we were going to do some research. Based on that research, we will apply the learnings to the different congregations. And with that learning, uh, we said they will be able to have more thriving Hispanic churches here in the U.S. So that's basically what we did. Well, there are four basic uh, phases in this project. Um, their phases are the research, uh, that then this developing. That's implementing and then evaluation, which allows to have a, a large scope that focus not only in the in the menu item, do this and do that, and you'll be successful, mm -hmm. but instead of allowing us to see what factors are to that particular people group yeah. and address that particular those particular issues in a way that not only we search and validate it, but we can go ahead and implement and then go back and evaluate mm -hmm. if it's if it's working. So we decided uh, we have a program director. We got a program manager, uh, which uh, I, I took that role in October of uh, in August of, of last year, 2021. And uh, we had the two researchers that completed the job at the end of last year. And then now uh, we added five coaches of those churches that we took the research wow. out of. We come out with coaches that help us through the process of just the learning through courts. Really grateful for this million dollar grant. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And uh, it was a day of of celebration uh, when we uh, received us, we received it. We were still in Colorado Springs at that time. And we were, uh, we were shouting for joy. So uh, pra <laughs> praise God. So you talked about the research phase guys, both of you mentioned it. And uh, so what did we research? What did we study? What did we learn in this research phase? Yes. What we did is that we start first identifying thriving congregations, no? And Hispanic thriving congregations. So we identified these churches across the nation and we went there and studied them to see what are the common factors that they have that you can connect them to their, why they were thriving. So we did this research. There was a lot of visits. More than 200 people were interviewed, a lot of pastors, a lot of district superintendents. And at the end of the process, we discovered basically that the thriving Hispanic congregation markets are related to trusted pastoral leadership, distributed leadership, biblical literacy as means for development, an outward focus ministry, and a relationally oriented community. And something that surprised us, the, the last factor, was that a robust denominational sense of belonging wow. was common 
to all these churches. Wow. They were really proud of being part of the denomination wow. and be part of the Great Commission efforts yep. that are led here. Yeah. Now let me let me go ahead and add a little more to to what he just said. But he just gave you the titles. You know, and we remember when we talk about factors, we talk about different things mm-hmm. that make one thing. So when we talk about trusted pastoral leadership, we're not talking about just one thing. We are highlighting several things that happen when look there. For example, longevity it, it became known to us that Hispanic pastors in a thriving church lasted 16.5 years in average, wow. while the lead pastor in the Anglo church, 8.5 years. Mm. So that is a significant change. Yeah. But that also means something else. It means that what is the pastor doing that allows uh, that time and, and trust to come together there? So what are the things that we need to talk? What are the things that these pastors doing that allow them to, uh, how do they report? How do they run governing boards? How do they do these things that allow the church to, to trust them and for them to be trustworthy? Uh, for example, the distributed leadership model. It's not just about delegating uh, a, a task in the church, but it's just the fact that there are mature Christians discipled by this church that are able now to make decisions, you know, quarterly, and be, they're being released to make those decisions in the church instead of just the pastor making all the decisions. What's yeah. interesting in that distributed leadership scene that, uh, that we find out that the leaders were not due to structure or appointment. They were growing from the congregation and they took leadership positions without necessary being appointed or elected. Mm-hmm. They were the recognized leaders of the churches and their senior pastors were okay with that. Mm-hmm. Now, then the biblical leadership, leaders, leadership, in the biblical literacy as means of development is the funny thing it was that in, in these Hispanic churches that were thriving, uh, there were uh, discipleship pathways at the front door. Mm-hmm. From the moment you walked in, you are invited to a discipleship pathway yeah. for all ages. Yeah. Uh, so immediately you go into a scenario that come here, we're going to teach you Bible. Yeah. And we're going to ask you to be involved yeah. instead of just either or or whenever you feel ready. It's just as part of the culture that was accepting. Yeah. Now, the outward focus ministry, which is, was interesting. All of these churches were involved in some type of church planting, uh, mission sending, youth ministry or uh, adult ministry sending missionary, yeah. uh, outreach uh, events. They were in a myriad of events of giving, sending, praying. It was a full thing. And in their lifespan, they have either planted a church, sent a missionary, or consistently have a partnership in the mission field and have open churches. And that is also amazing because... We were, when we identified thriving congregations, we were not looking for the multiplication aspect or the church planting yeah. aspect, but all these churches were planting churches yes. and were multiplied as part of their yep. culture and as part of what they were doing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. When we deal with relationally oriented community, it was interesting because what is it's not normal for a local church to understand this, but in the, in the Hispanic church, when you have all these people leaving their countries, their culture, their language, coming to the U.S., then maybe during the Christmas season, the church may close on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, or but not in the Latino church. That they, they is an immigrant church. They become family. Yeah, they uh, they become a ministry to the whole family, all age groups, 
and they are all there for them. They participate for the displaced folks, and they also participate in the life uh, cycles of people, from birthdays to uh, to funerals, to just uh, you need food, to opening a business, to opening a, a new home. The church is there participating with them as part of the family community. And uh, of course, as uh, Ivan said, the clear denominational connection, it was funny because it was more than just a logo. So it was not just about having the logo. They were participatory in regional uh, events, in district events, national events. They were sending churches, sending members to to their respective leadership positions in the district. Leaders are being developed at the district level. So the church continues to send them to this and they're recognized at the district level and national level in some of them. That's all the kind of multiplication language we're always talking, right? Yes, it's yes, when we're exactly. focused on the harvest and sending people into the harvest, it actually benefits the sending church, exactly. not just the people that are going out. Exactly. And that's beautiful. That's what we're aiming for. A lot of good theory there. A lot of good uh, learning that you've gotten through the research. What's the implementation phase looking like now that you're in gear? Well, um, we are having six cohorts. That's about 37 uh, pastors, official workers, mm-hmm. with at least one leader with them. So we're talking about 70 plus people in these courts, uh, representing about seven districts that have a, a significant number of churches that we can cluster in it. So we are working in the format of, uh, uh, first of all, we do an in-person meeting uh, that allow the in-person to have the group to, uh, to deal in a day and a half or two days in conversations with the coach. Then we have then an online meeting the next month and which allow us to develop whatever reading, whatever homework assignments that we're working on. And then we have the one-on-one meeting where we meet each one of those uh, guys, both the leader and the pastor on a one-on-one basis to see what are they are, where are they in the process. And then we give them a month for a breather and we do that again. Yes, the development, the current phase is, uh, is very interesting because Right now, at the beginning, we have to start convincing people mm-hmm. and churches, this is good for you. Now we are in the moment where people and churches and districts are saying, can you come, can you come and help us with our Hispanic uh, churches? So that is what we're actually doing is expanding across the nation. Very soon we will be in the East Coast. We start in the West Coast move to the central region, and very soon we will be in the East Coast, continue with recruiting churches to be part of the process, to help them to thrive in their future. All right, so you're moving from West to East, uh, anticipating East Coast uh, engagement soon. What else is yet to be done in this process, and what is your hope for some of the outcomes uh, of this grant-funded project? There are some original stuff to us, you know, that uh, we are uh, not, not everything has to be copied. Not everything has to be translated. We can create out of what we see our leadership putting together. Uh, but we, uh, to, to us, what well, we have done a couple of good things. We have, for example, we have uh, Alliance Life or Vida Aliancista. We took the magazine and we adapted some of uh, the stories in it to be more into the thriving congregation, mm-hmm. make, taking this, telling the stories of the Spanish church in the U.S. doing its things in Spanish, uh, that which is something unique. We also took the ACLD, or School of Ministry, courses, and uh, we adapted several of those courses 
to the Hispanic that to, that connect with the factors. Added to that, we went to also with the policy course that we be able to prove we provided the policy course that set the standard of what it is in going to be in, in Spanish. So we have certain things going on at the same time. Now, what are the cool, cool, cool things that we're looking for uh, in the next year is that you're going to see uh, emissions um, modules uh, set up in Spanish that relate to what we have learned about how these churches do missions and how they develop the mission stopping and the engagement for mission and thus church planting. And also uh, uh, children and youth, how do they connect with it? So they're going to be original stuff to us apart from just continue to use the SDI, peak, uh, and three dimensions, exponential, and all the resources that we have at our disposal. One of the things you asked about uh, our hope for outcomes, and what we are looking is that our 200, close to 200 churches in the U.S. will be thriving and effective reaching the lost. You know, one of the big values of these churches that we study was the reach out to the community, to the immigrant community and so on. And they have been very effective doing that. So it's our hope not only have 10, 20, 50 churches like that. We're looking for our 200 churches to be in that realm or being very effective bringing to Christ all these communities that come to our nation. And the reality is that due to that transition, they are open to the gospel. They are willing to listen yeah. and they are willing to come to the Lord. Yeah, that sounds like you guys are learning a lot of stuff and putting it, getting some traction on it and and have big dreams that need a lot of prayer. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so we better be praying for that. We don't want this just to be money spent, but not prayer spent. So that's good. Moving it from paper to practice. Yeah, really heavy. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I'm wondering as we're sitting here, you know, might what we're learning uh, and doing in the process have application to some of the other language groups that are part of the Alliance family. Yes, yeah, so what, what is interesting about this grant and the money that we receive is that we did not ask for, okay, this is what we want to do, the tools that we want to do. Uh, please help us to translate these tools and so on. Was more, okay, let's validate the process that will be effective with the Hispanic community for a process as the way that we do it can be applied to any other ethnic community. What we are saying this is that not necessarily the six factors that we discover in the Hispanic church are going to be the same six factors for Hmongs or Koreans and so on, but we have a process now to identify yeah. what are the factors yeah. that for that specific necessity will be effective for them to have thriving congregations. So it's our hope that as we move to the future, we can obtain uh, resources to be able to, hey, we are done with the Hispanics. We learned this from them. Okay, can we start this with the Chinese or with the Hmong people or with the Korean people, Vietnamese, in a way that then we have a process to make be to be effective in the reality, not with our answers, but with their answers yes. that we will find out yeah. what would what we need to do. Yeah, that makes sense. It's good. The, we have tracks to run on now. Correct. For example, we have the uh, the research validated through methodologies, right. so we can be scientific and we can ground the theory. We can have uh, uh, narrative uh, inquiry and all these methodologies and theories 
they're out there for good research. But at the same time, that only answers what the data tells us. Mm-hmm. However, we also go with a development that validates that's validated to leadership engagement. You know, our people that are on the field that are doing it, yeah. you know, are telling us something. Are we are we listening? Yeah. And how can engage into that development? Are we develop? What are they doing? And uh, of course, we have the implementation, which validated through the in the trenches. Yeah, you know yeah. what is happening, how they're doing it in the context of what that particular group is is developing their tools to continue to be thriving. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of communities across the U.S. where there's a growing number of Spanish speakers, significant Spanish speaking population. Last question, guys: How can an English speaking church go about impacting that part of the population for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm going to answer that one first. Yes, that's right. Go ahead. There you go. There you go. go ahead. Hold, hold back yeah. and go ahead. Well, I, I think first one is that generations are here and are also living here. What does that mean from generation one to generation five? They are already here. Kids are, my kid was born here, even though he feels he's Puerto Rican. He was born in, in a plantation, Florida. And uh, yet he's all his life has been in a Hispanic church, Hispanic culture. Uh, church. So he has an idea of a, of a, two, a second generation Hispanic, yet at the same time a 1.5er and stone like that. So we just cannot look at just the Spanish thing as one thing, right. as a one generation. I think another thing important is to understand the immigration issue and understand that understanding immigration issue doesn't make you an advocate about immigration reforms or stuff like that, but it allows you to swim in this uh, confusion of what it is you know, to have an immigration issue that uh, people are going to come in. Uh, some of them understanding what Christ is saying. Others are looking for what Christ is saying. And uh, our job is to get them there, yeah. to get them to connect. And I think is to understand the value of church in Hispanic. So I figured that, that we need to prepare as a church. We There's a value in contact, that value in networking and sharing Christ and uh, finding the resources to meet the need of that particular community there. Yes, I I will, if I were looking directly to one of the pastors that are listening these podcasts, I will say first, start small. Mm -hmm. You know, do not think about, hey, we need to do this very big. Start small. Reach out for your surrounding Hispanic community. Identify them and see, hey, how we can help them and how we can be present with them. And then also considering hosting hosting one Hispanic group, but not necessarily as an income opportunity related to rent, more more as say, okay, this is an outreach from our church. They will grow up and they will be able to stand by their feet. But initially, they need help. So I will say a start a small reach out, help them in any way that you can. And because they are a, a group that your church currently are not reaching out. So use them to grow and to to help them to preach the gospel. And the last words will be, be patient. And some people want results in three months. No, be patient and support them, and you will see that group grow. Sounds like good advice to me. Yep, love it. So, guys, not only appreciate you being on the podcast today, Really appreciate what both of you are doing. Yeah, uh, you're leading a great charge for church planning in general and Hispanic church planning in specific. 
and uh, it's a privilege to work alongside you. Thanks, thanks for taking Thank the time you. to be Thank with us today. Thank you. So, Alan, love what these guys had to share with us uh, today. And it strikes me that almost everyone listening to this podcast has a significant growing Spanish-speaking population in your area, which is a golden gospel opportunity. Mm. What can you do to begin to have ministry? Is it English as a second language? Is it perhaps opening your facility when someone comes to you saying, we'd like to plant a Spanish Alianza Cristiani Missionera Iglesia? There you go. You did it again. How about that? Eyes to the harvest field, and specifically this Spanish-speaking part of the harvest field, and and see what God might want you to do, what God might empower you uh, to do. Any closing comments? uh, I I do have a closing comment, actually. I know that's surprising. but It is not. um, Nor is it disappointing. You know, when you hired me onto your team in Eastern PA, and I was overseeing church planting. Yes. You know, part of that included overseeing Spanish-speaking church planting. Yeah of which I had zero experience, except interacting with a couple of Spanish-speaking church planners. But I quickly learned that, you know, there were, as Jorge referred to, 21 different Spanish-speaking nations, and that they were all around us. And every one of them, even though they all spoke Spanish, they all brought different cultures with them. And so one of the reasons that I like this Lily Grant they just talked about is like being able to do research to find out how, what we can do to reach those what they have in common and what they need in Spanish-speaking church planning is critical for this yep. uh, because the cultures are all, even though the languages, that's not exactly the same. We know there's dialects, but even though it's the same language, all the cultures are different uh, in those countries. And we to be identify these uh, critical factors is huge. And I'm really excited to see what fruit this produces in the future. Yeah, totally agree. So I um, appreciate you joining us, folks, for episode eight of season nine of Equipping You podcast. Next time on uh, season uh, on season nine, episode nine, we will be talking to Aaron Henning and Josh Grimes, two Alliance pastors, about the uh, evangelism cohorts that they've been a part of over the last two years in the uh, Eastern PA district as we've been in cooperation uh, in the Alliance with the Billy Graham Center and Rick Richardson. You won't want to miss that episode. It's good. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.